0: It's episode twenty at the Metrofan TV Weekly Rundown. It's Lenz and Fernando here, coming to you live in the midst of a suddenly eventful offseason, so to say. Um, Fernando, how are you feeling about this whole mess right about now? <laughs> uh,
1: what? A, this whole thing is just absurd. I, I don't even know. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, especially after this agent just completely lost his. Uh, lost his mind in, in, in that interview he did today. Um, you know, bringing up ML, you know, Martin Luther King Jr and and Hitler and coffee and furniture. (laughs) Like I, you read his quotes and man, what a ride that was,
2: but you looked
1: to me, to me and I, I could be wrong. I just want to preface by saying that I could be completely wrong in anything I say regarding this. But as someone who like spends a lot of time like tracking this stuff to me that screams an agent is just coming to terms that there's almost definitely not a deal happening. And he is just doing whatever he can now at this point to just like slander the team and make them look as horrible and unreasonable as possible to really, really push that, 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 uh, that public pressure, which I don't think would work on us, but,
0: um, yeah. I mean, forget about being the IX of MLS, like, a uh- The real prize here is being the Lazio of MLS, apparently. I don't know about that. But um, Joining us today on the podcast, on a very, very, very action-filled podcast, is none other than our first ever two-time guest, Eric Friedlander. How are you?
2: Good, good. I'm just going to say, NYCFC may not give up that whole Lazio thing very quickly, so they may fight <laughs> you on that. Yeah.
0: Do, you, do you see that like picture of uh, them being like rumored to sign that Romanian guy and they inadvertently caught him like doing the uh, Roman salute <laughs> yeah. by complete accident? Like, that was so funny.
2: Um, also, is it is Simonian Mas Grande Casa Sola now? I mean,
0: <laughs> one person gets calls back from... Oliver Mintz left and the other doesn't. And the other hasn't been invited for a cup of coffee in months. So you, you, know, you can... know you
1: know you know that show on YouTube on YouTube originals, uh, uh Cobra Kai. It's like the other perspective of the guy of the the, the, the douchebag kid from uh, karate kid. I want like a semi a Simeonian version of that. Like I want to see his perspective of the Gaku Saga <laughs> and see how bad was it really. Maybe it was just <laughs> Yo, yeah, the shitty people around Kaku, that was uh, that was her problem this whole time. That would be amazing.
0: Uh, I mean,
2: I'm so- fully expecting the next quote to be, "Ron Waxman gets a fuel pass. Why don't I?" Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Say what you want about Kaku Romero, he really knows how to choose his agents, man. I mean, yeah. I-, I thought the Simonian saga was ridiculous. Like this was an all-time like tantrum, if you ask me. Yeah, I don't blame him
2: for Simonian just because it seems like Simonian just gets all the Huracan Academy guys, so it kind of like he didn't have a choice there, and it turned bad. I don't blame yeah. it as much for picking that guy, but this one's one definitely-
1: Simonian was like, you know, this was just this was a fee that he was contracted to get like that. I I can honestly say, even though I'm sure it was it was kind of scummy with how with how he does this, where he targets these really really young uh, kids and families for these kind of contracts. But like at least his deal was legit. I mean, he was owed a percentage. You could argue to you know how valid that was, but at least he's arguing that. You got this genius over here coming out of left field, basically mad at the team for not wanting to sell a contracted player who's under no obligation to be transferred to transfer at a loss just because it's it's absurd. It's ridiculous. Well, it's immoral
2: not to sell him when he's under contract? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, like, I think
0: just... I mean, mean, we're probably going to be delving into this, like, a bit further in depth later, but I think it's just ridiculous that someone that he doesn't realize that the more he throws tantrums in public, the more he drives his leverage down. And the more he makes his client unappealing to future, like, teams that may want him, because they know that they're going to be signing... All this baggage, right? So I think Yeah. Altogether, especially now that like uh, you're starting to see like rumors of Lazar Markovich of all people popping up. Like Uh. I think it's fairly um, I I feel fairly confident that, you know, he's kind of worked himself into a corner here. And, you know, I think Red Bull Global just needs to hold really at this point. I like the message that they're sending through this, which is that basically that you're not gonna be able to bully this team in the day taking deals that they don't want to take. But we'll definitely be getting into that a bit later because I think we kind of have to draw our attention, first of all, to the market, to the event that we were discussing on the last episode, which is none other than the MLS Super Draft. Uh, we made a surprising amount of selections in this draft, obviously. I think uh, we didn't really... The team had three picks, I believe, going... Was it three or four? I think it was... four, four, four. 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 No, three picks going into the draft, I believe. Four. Three in the third,
2: one in the first.
0: Oh, and they turned it into a lot of drafts. Four. They
2: turned turned it it into into four into the first and second, and three into the third and fourth, so seven overall.
0: Yeah, so an unexpected amount of trades on draft day. But I think uh, looking at the crop here, I think it's uh, pretty clear what the agenda of the day was, and that was to kind of flesh out the uh, lower end of the depth chart at a center back and bringing on board like a whole bunch of prospects that they're kind of betting on developing at Red Bull too. And I think looking at the work that they did and flipping the number of picks that they had into even more picks to kind of replenish um, depth of that position throughout the organization. You know, I think, I think when you look at how this team has kind of uh, developed talent over the years, uh, at Red Bull too. I mean, like, I think we have one hundred percent. We one hundred percent have the right to believe that we can develop these guys internally. You know, I mean, I've been seeing the super draft be compared to getting free real estate. You know, because all you're doing is taking flyers and guys who you think can you can develop into something currently greater than what they currently are. So I think for everyone. Um, Listen to this, we'll recap it quickly. First rounders were centre-back Roy Boateng from UC Davis and Janos Loeb, which was a left winger at Fordham, but maybe playing left back going forward. Second round, we take Sean Nealis a centre-back from Hofstra, and uh, Reese Buckmaster, which is a fucking great name from Indiana. A <laughs> right back from Indiana. Third round saw us take Rashid Nuhu from, uh, from Fordham. A goalkeeper probably will be competing with Evan Loro for the uh, Red Bull 2 starting spot um, next year. And in the fourth round, we take uh, Sean McSherry, who was plugged on this podcast, by the way, um, on episode 19 from Princeton. And uh, Joey Piazic? Piazic. Okay, yes, great. <laughs> <laughs> it's always it's always it's always the polish surnames man sorry monica from twitter if you're listening to this but it's true um from west virginia coming up through the skc system so my tally here is um two fullbacks two centerbacks a midfield and two midfielders and a goalkeeper and i think um there's a fair bit of upside here. You know, I think, uh, I think I'm think i going to open my just our discussion around draft by saying that. I think uh, particularly with the uh, center backs that they took in this draft, you know, I think uh, looking at some of the video that they had, uh, they definitely fit the mold of that modern center back that Red Bull l- enjoys looking for. You know, I think I was particularly impressed by Borateng. Got some great physical tools, has that speed and has that speed we talked about. Being able to play recovery defense, and that's something that came up in I think Dennis Hamlet's remarks about why they were so drawn to Boateng, and Nealis to begin with is because they were shown to be accustomed to putting out fires all over the field, and they have the physical tools that they can kind of mold into something greater, right? So, um, and then looking at Loeb and uh, Buckmaster particularly, I think they took a whole they they took I believe a whole bunch of guys who topped out in that 40-yard dash at the Combine, which underscores just how much they look for speed in their defenders. And, you know, I think when you have a framework like this, it makes it really easy to see how they fit in. And I'm a bit more confident about the defense at Red Bull 2 going to the season as a result of this, because these are guys who weren't, like, incongruous, right? Like, who weren't maybe who seem to be a bit more of a natural fit for the high demands of playing defense in the system with their eid. So um, I got to say, you know, looking at the defensive crop in this game, I, I in this draft, you know, I have to really give them a good grade for getting the guys that they got. Like, uh, I'm going to turn it over to you guys. How do you feel about this crop? You go ahead,
2: Eric. I feel really good about this. I'm not sure. Like I think we could potentially get like three, at least two MLS players out of this crop, which is a pretty good return considering what the return has been, where it honestly hasn't been great from the college game per se. But I think this year they really kind of had their scouting honed and they really, I think it's a combination of some of the players really fit. They kind of had the physical build with the outside backs. They're not too small. They're sp- both rapid players and Sean McSherry, Reese Buckmaster are both really fast. Loeb looks like he has good touch, good skill that you can teach him the defensive side. I think Nealis, there's not really much out on him. So I emailed his coach just out of the blue to try to get a report. And obviously a coach, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt because he's not going to say my player sucks. But like he's 6'4". He's an absolute unit of a player. His coach says he's a supreme athlete who reads the game well. He never saw him lost a header. He has recovery speed. He kind of just described Matt Miazga in a way, but this guy looks kind of like when you look at the pictures of him, he looks kind of like this weird combination of Miazga in height and Parker in how like kind of bulked up he is in the upper body. So I think who knows if how good he is on the ball, but. Some those physical tools and just being a rugged defender that can get you very far in this league and you can work on some of the other things same thing with Roy Boateng seems very solid like he reads the game well and he has that speed to just get back and recover and time tackles while I posted that gif from the combine where it was like this is where Red Bull knew Boateng was theirs it's like those types of tackles are what you like to see
0: yeah, you know, it's particularly fun on the offensive side of the ball with these two guys, you know, because I think it was clear from their highlight reels that these were two players who were at least somewhat comfortable with kind of trying to ferry the ball out the back or play a forward pass. You know, I thought Neis showed some pretty good potential with his long range distribution, which is going to be key in the system with how quick we try and play the ball up the field and generate pressing opportunities higher up and Boating, meanwhile you know like i think there was a one sequence where he won the ball back with a great tackle laid it off to a a, dif- a midfielder and then surged up the field to try and like uh, support the uh, counterattack you know i think it's when you see stuff like that and you see how willing guys are to uh to to do things with the ball out the back you know you have to feel pretty confident about um our ability to develop these guys into something good, you know, because I think it reflects that the mindset's already there to always look for transition opportunities and to, um, and to, you know, yeah, to start transition opportunities or to start um, looking to create things from higher up the field. And I think that's kind of why they zoned in. I'm going to take a bit of a excursion here. It is zoned in and Rashid Nuhu, at the goalkeeper spot, because I think if you look at his highlight reel as well, you know, like some pretty good distributions for the college game stands out from him, right? Like, uh, definitely takes a really good goal kick from the back, Uh, definitely can place like long balls on a dime, or at least maybe not on a dime, but uh, they consistently go to where he wants them to go, you know? And I think that was kind of the agenda uh, that was one of the things on the agenda for us, you know. Yeah. That I think we'll be looking to look in our um, talent at the back going forward is that these are guys who are capable of playing a very accurate long ball, because this is sort of what um, the tenet in modern soccer is: is that if you can bypass the opposition's midfield, you kind of start to get you, you're you're kind of on the front foot if you can do that, right? Because you bypass the midfield. And you're putting pressure on your defense immediately. And if your defense hasn't developed to the point where they can comfortably work with things on the ball, then you press him high and you press him hard. You know, I think you can clearly see that that blueprint was there in all of our defensive um, selections in this draft, which is why I'm kind of excited to see how it shakes out, you know. And I think Nuhu's selection in particular is a bit of a warning shot to Evan Loro, you know, because I think we still haven't quite seen that side of his game develop even though he, I think he's done his like second, third year, fourth year with Red Bull two. Now he's still only still only about 22 or 23. So he does have time on his side obviously, but I I have to figure that he's not going to be content being the third choice goalkeeper forever. And this is clear to me that the team might be looking to give him more stern competition. Developing at that spot to Ripple too,
1: yeah. I, I, <clears throat> I think I think in general, what what was really interesting about this draft is it, it. To me, it seemed like a pretty strong shift in their philosophy in terms of what they were looking to get. And if you look at the last, yeah, at the previous years, they kind of just picked, you know, kind of like the best option out there that was closest to maybe what they would want. Whereas this time around it seemed very targeted. Like they definitely went into this doing their homework. Like they wanted specific people where I don't think you really saw that um, at least as aggressively in the passes as, as, as we did this time around. Look at someone like, uh, uh like Nico last year, you know, he, not that he's a bad player, but there really wasn't much about him that at least to me scream like, Okay, he has a chance to really fit this team. He was really, really small. He wasn't that quick. Uh, he was kind of a small guy. He really didn't have his like the technical abilities that I would say would kind of stand out to me for his position for even Red Bull too. But they took a flyer. Whereas this time around, if you look at the the, the fullbacks they picked up in the centerbacks, it's very, very clear that they were looking for very specific skill sets. They definitely picked these guys up because they felt that they they have at least the bare minimum requirements for what is needed for how this team wants to play. And then from there, you can now develop the more complex things, you know, improve the touch, improve the positioning, you know, teach them the tactics as opposed to basically trying to take this guy who made me who, You know, a center back or fullback who doesn't have the close down speed, doesn't have the ability to emergency defend, who's just not that quick, who's not that good in the ball, who's not that good in the air. Just the basic stuff that you need from certain positions that these guys didn't have, you're trying to force that into them. Whereas these guys, I feel like most of them, from what I've seen, have a pretty, pretty solid foundation to develop on. And I'm with Eric. I I think you could definitely see... At least two, maybe even three or four of these guys end up potentially climbing the ladder to the first team within the next, you know, next couple of seasons.
2: Yeah, I think I think Buckmaster really is like a really good value considering like we gave up basically we gave up Amando Moreno for him, which as it you look at the depth chart, we have a ton of wingers, and it's kind of like a win-win for both. Like you have to show to young guys coming in that you're not going to hold them back. So Amando clearly with the rumors of Omir Fernandez signing, which seems like the team may just be delaying it day by day, so they have more content. Seems kind of like that's what they're doing with Epps yesterday, Riza today, maybe Omir tomorrow. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm on to you, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> but I think they knew they had this depth at winger, so. They didn't need a depth at right back. Buckmaster comes from a program where he's constantly getting up and down, up and down the wings. Like Indiana pushes their fullbacks really far up. Like their left back scored 11 goals. Like that's not your normal. So he's used to being in those really advanced positions, but also having to get back and defend and get up and down the field. So he kind of fits from a stylistic. He kind of played in, had to do similar things. And at the combine, he showed really well in his ability to read the game. Just make the smart play, not overplay things, make the smart pass, and be comfortable on the ball in wide areas, which I think, like, Nico wasn't slow last year, he was a pretty fast dude, but he was like 5'4", 5'5", on a good day, and he didn't read the game well, so he seemed like someone, maybe they saw him at the combine, oh, he looked decent, but Once he got into the system, you could tell his positioning wasn't great. He didn't read the game. And when you're that small and you're not physically the biggest, you really need to read the game at a higher level than others to make up for some of the physical limitations that you just naturally will have when a six-foot winger comes and challenges you. You have to know how to deal with that situation. Like Connor Lee, for all the crap he gets, he deals with situations that someone his height yeah. shouldn't be dealing with at a very like good rate. And, and that- so these guys are a little taller, more physically built, so they have that ability to kind of defend 1v1 and defend in the tag like, when someone's trying to get physical but they also have elite speed.
0: It, we have a couple questions in the mailbag I think regarding the draft that I think I want to center a discussion of uh, around because I think they definitely are quite Interesting. So the first coming from the angriest man on your Twitter, Alexander Saceroli, asking us, so which of the draft picks have the highest potential ceiling? And I think that's a pretty good one to start on. Um, For me personally, I'm quite high on Boateng um, of all the draft picks that we selected, because I think uh, if you look at his... um, if you look at the collective tools that he has, you know, I think uh, the physical the physical stuff stands out, the closing speed stands out, but also his comfort and his poise in the ball for this level, you know, I think, like, this is, uh, we have the potential here to develop a guy into a very all-rounded MLS caliber center back, you know, and I think that those things are, like, fucking vibranium in context of this league. I, I use vibranium a lot in this podcast <laughs> to describe really, like, Rare potentially rare commodities, but I can't deny that. You know, I think we got looking at just all his all around game. Like I have to say, I think I think Watting has probably the highest ceiling of the guys we took in a draft, and is probably the one that I'm personally excited to see play the most. Um, I'm going to throw it over to you guys.
2: Yeah, you can't go wrong with Boatang. I think he looks to be a very solid player. I may mean, go Neelis just on the sleeper pick. I that email from his coach kind of gave me like heart eyes, so I'm kind of on the Neelis train. But that's <laughs> kind of a sleeper pick based off a very biased scouting report. But I think you can't go wrong with either one of those players.
1: I'm gonna go and Ford, Fernando. maybe
2: Newhu. Who. Newhu who's the other one, just because goalies are kind of different and where they fall in the draft and he was an international knew who's a solid player.
1: I think I'm going to go with Boateng. Just, I've, I've mentioned a couple of times before in, in previous episodes how like at least for me I see certain players who get turned kind of like as templates and the guys who kind of replace them are like new versions of them. You know, you can see some parallels. You can see where they were similar but then where the new player is kind of an improvement and I feel that with, um, with Big Haas like – Tang has, you know, he's almost like a newer, like a like a newer version of him. Because from some of the video, videos I've seen, I that can definitely see some similarities with just kind of how they work. But just the physical as the physical attributes that this guy has is just going to be unbelievable. His close down speed, his his just how strong he mm-hmm. is. There there's there's a lot about this guy that I like. He's mm-hmm. he's the one that I think has uh, the best chance to make it.
0: Um, the second question I think we're going to get to comes from Gary Gibson in the discussion group. And, you know, I think it's talking about this facet overall and the, the ability to find talent in the super draft. So he asks, how many, if any, super draft picks actually panned out for us? Considering how good we are at development, how come so few have developed from the draft? And I think I'm going to open by saying that it's not entirely true that um none or few of our draft picks have kind of uh, d- developed from us or we haven't really had a history of developing talent from uh the draft consistently because i think even just looking at wikipedia and i know like this isn't like the greatest way to do things but there have been players throughout history especially when like you know the draft was a lot more of important back in mls 1.0 or 2.0 right where the team has found guys who became club legends, or at least very solid players at senior level, through the draft, right? I think just to name a few, from the early days, you know, Mike Petke, John Woolenich, you know, guys like Jeff Park, Rodrigo Faria, who had that pretty one or two, uh, one or two pretty decent seasons, and then it goes Josie
2: and Michael Bradley.
0: Yeah, Josie and Michael Bradley um, are another great example. And then it even just goes down to, like, very solid, but guys like, you know, uh, the Seth Stamlers and the, uh, um, you know, Dane Richards of the world, you know. Oh, I'm going to throw another name out there. I mean, we, got, we we brought Tim Ream through the draft as well, and he was sort oh, of yeah. like a big deal when he got sold.
2: That's probably, like, the best draft pick and kind of the more modern era of the draft. I think, in part, the draft. The talent is a lot harder to hit on now. Yeah. So, like, if you look at the post Ali Curtis takeover, as, like that's the start of the the ushering in of this new era of Red Bull football. Like the Ali when Ali Curtis was hired, that you can kind of make that the line of this next like version per se. Like the we went from the big stars, then Ali Curtis forward is kind of the next like perspective to look at the eras by. I feel that it's been like the hits from those drafts have been fewer and far between just in general. But I also feel like it hasn't always been the prime focus scouting. Like, So like someone comes in, Ali Curtis gets hired as GM. He's not really like he's thinking about things. He has to replace Omri. He has to do these things with the roster. I don't think the draft was really... A top priority, and it's something you have to scout for a while. You have to look at college games. You have to scout through the season when he just wasn't even hired as a coach, a GM yet. And then you kind of have the turnover where Dennis Hamlet takes over, and that was they drafted Zico Lewis, who was clearly a "We're drafting you because you stood out at the MLS Combine" type of thing. Yeah, you know. So like, like I feel, and then Ollie Curtis, his first year, drafted Leo Stoltz just because like you're here. You're highly rated. Hey, maybe something can happen from you. Turns out you wanted to be a dentist and didn't care about (laughs) stuff. Oh well. (laughs) But we had got Stefano Bonomo in that draft. Like, yeah, you know. Like, so I feel in general it's kind of hard to have like the hit, especially when we're drafting late in the rounds. We're not getting the premier talent per se. So it's kind of a it's just kind of guess, which I think this year they really found like really scouted well and found talent who may fit and we'll see what happens.
0: I mean, as far as I'm concerned as well, I think uh, the um, talent development infrastructure at this organization hasn't all hasn't been as fully realized back then as it is now, you know, like obviously we didn't really quite have Red Bull two fully up and running until 2016. So in my opinion, and that's where it really became this like, breeding ground for future murderers with the first team, right? Was that 2016 season? So if you really look at the development window, the concept of Red Bull two existing as a talent development ground has only really been a thing for four years, right? Three or four years at this point at max, because a lot of those um, guys who stood out at Red Bull two were homegrown slash Academy guys anyway. So, 2017 and 2018 is when we sort of started, like, introducing more, like, um, collegiate talent to kind of be developed at Red Bull 2. And even just looking at last year's crop, you know, I think we've already turned out, you know, at least a couple of guys who can hang professionally. I mean, um, Jared Stroud, we took in, like, uh, the third or fourth round last year, and he looks like a future um, contributor, you know. I don't know that's at the first team or at the, uh, or in USL, but you know, I think these are very solid players who can play a role, you know? And I think this year it's only going to, it's only going to grow, you know, because I think as like the blue, as the talent development blueprint kind of um, diversifies and you can follow a whole bunch of different pathways from what you've developed before, like you're only gonna, you're probably like I think as you mentioned, you're probably gonna start to see a few more hits start to come being churned out, you know. And it really comes down to the fact that I think they've done their homework in this segment, in this particular section this year in particular, and the past couple year in comparison to the past couple years where they haven't re- where they kind of took the best player available and just kind of see if they could stick with the system. This year definitely very different they had a template for what they were looking for and they went and got those guys in the draft. So I'd feel a bit more confident in that regard.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's a very good point. I, I think sometimes it's easy to forget that, um, this whole project is only a couple years old. 2015 was the start of a massive, massive overhaul in how this organization runs in every possible way and we're I still feel like we're still seeing that develop we're still seeing that that foundation kind of be laid out from from the development perspective i mean other other perspectives too but especially the development whether it's you know the the RDS and you know 45,000 kids and growing to you know finding different different ways to pull guys and and different avenues it definitely makes sense that that they're now starting to really um dive a little bit more into uh into some of these uh these 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 college kids coming for the super draft. Um again, I, I don't think it was it was it was a coincidence or just a one-off thing that they were so focused on these guys. I think you're right. I think going forward you're definitely gonna see um a very, very intentional and targeted uh philosophy going into the super drafts, at the very least, just to get guys who who on a fundamental level fit how the team plays and who have the potential to grow you know the more the more hand the, the 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 wider you can reach and the more people you can kind of cover the higher the percentage is you're you're going to find somebody that's going to fit so if this is just one more avenue that they can go to to bring someone in to potentially you know develop if if you if you pull five guys and only even one of them works hey you know what what's what's the harm in that you know that's still one more player that you just picked up
0: yeah, I mean, like it's free, it's free real estate, really. At the end of the day, you yeah, know, you're, you're not going to turn down free real estate when it comes to developing prospects. I mean, um, it's a bit of a numbers game, and the more that you have, the more likely that one's going to turn out. You know, I mean, even looking at, uh, I'm gonna even looking at baseball. Right, you look at the MLB draft. They have what 50 rounds, and if you just get one major leaguer from that draft, it's considered a success. You know, I mm-hmm. think. We, you don't you don't see talent come through collegiate drafts as regularly as you may like, because not a lot of picks in general really turn out. You know, like it's highly probable that two, three, maybe four guys from this draft uh, don't stick with the organization after the first year, because you know I think they're in a position going forward where they can afford to just. Stick with the best prospects, you know, and bring in new ones to take their place next year.
1: And I think Eric made a really good point last time too about the fact that you know, if you look at the the relationships, I guess that this that this team is kind of built with some of these colleges. Um, even that seems very intentional. You know, schools where you know a lot of a lot of their players are international players who you know may have actually spent some time in in some youth system and in, in some club overseas. So. You know they've already developed a real good foundation um, as far as technical abilities and stuff like that. So there, there's definitely, there's definitely a lot of room to exploit. I think in in, in that part of of uh, potential development. And if there's a team that's going to be able to to find that exploit and and take advantage of it, it's definitely going to be this team.
0: Yeah, um, I think that this about does it with draft chat because uh, we do have a lot to cover uh than the second half of this episode and um it's a real doozy you guys it's peak silly season um after i think maybe two months of radio silence in regard um we just had an absolute explosion of news over the last week to say the least right we're living in the golden era of rumors and um the, the the rumor in everyone's lips right now i think uh it goes without saying. Kaku, Romero, Gamara, looking for a move to Club America. And um, just an all-time agent meltdown in the press, I think, today kind of underscores, I think, how um, I feel that this deal just gets inches towards becoming unlikelier and unlikelier as it drags on. You know, and I really do have to appreciate the comms team for this where every single lie that these fucking clowns like Eric Gomez and Ricardo Carino throw out in MX has just been refuted by pictures of the guy. And you don't really need to say much more than that if you ask me. With um, now you have this new rumor that they are looking at bringing Lazar Markovich over. I think this pushes the needle in the direction of the fact that I don't think that this is likely to go through. And I think it's as simple as that, but what kind of, I think rightfully gets a lot of people a bit agitated is how open they've been about all of this, you know, just kind of going out there and dumping all your dirty laundry out in public. And I really think it's just not a, I mean, it's not a great look for the player either. If you ask me, um, but if you look at Kaku's remarks in a nutshell, it's not like he's really agitated for like a move like now, now. You know, it, it, his remarks have just mostly been: "It would be a great opportunity for me to go play for Club America because of your history and this and your reputation." You know, I, like it, it can kind of be construed as to him asking to leave. But I think it has been pointed out many times on Twitter. You know, it's not so much him being dissatisfied of his current situation at the club, as much as of him being in a very good job right now and receiving a dream offer, you know, and that I don't think reflects a level of dissatisfaction, no matter which way the uh, Mexican press or the his agent's trying to spin it, you know. And I think they really shot themselves in the foot by, <laughs> by comparing us to the Nazis, really. I think any time... <sighs> Um, I mean, that was just such a yeah. ludicrous, 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 absolutely ludicrous statement. I mean, you, you don't help your cause by doing that He this, said,
2: this isn't going well. How can I make it yeah. worse? Oh, let me say, let me quote MLK and use Nazis. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's the most idiotic thing. That dude is just so dumb. Like, some of the stuff he says, it just doesn't make any sense like no I, no sense at all i, I look
1: i I'm, I'm this whole thing is is just absolute nonsense and and it's a shame because if if gaku ends up staying he's got a lot of work to do to rebuild the trust in his fan base i don't think he'll ever get it back regardless but he's got a lot of a lot of um uh a lot of work to do because i mean I, i'm still not convinced at all that that this picture that the agent has painted about him being so unhappy and he just can't wait to leave. I don't, I still don't buy that. That being said, it it's, he's still his agent and he's still allowing his agent to go on, on, on TV and, and being, you know, and being interviewed and saying absolutely just mind-blowingly stupid shit. He's still allowing him to, to, to drop, you know, fake rumors to, to, supposed real uh journalists you know real reporters down with with who are associated with espn and fox sports saying bullshit that you know oh he he uh he's training on the side basically because you know he had a quote unquote hurt leg like he's still at the end of the day the client and the client has really a big part of what an agent is is allowed to say so it's not a good look to him that, even though, yeah, he may not be as disgruntled as, as, his, you know, the agents making him seem, he's allowing the agents to say a lot of this stuff. And I think today lines are crossed. Like, you know, the typical tricks that, that, that these club Amer- that, uh, that these League MX teams use, you know, to, to, Creating all these fake, you know, the fake narratives and blah blah. Trying to push a
2: strong arm team, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I mean stronger. the
1: usual stuff. Yeah, we've all seen that shit. We, this isn't the first time this has happened to an MLS side. But when you start, when you start disparaging the team the way he has in the last day and a half, especially today, I feel like you've crossed. You've crossed a line. When you when you start when you seriously have to bring up Hitler in any in any context at all regarding a team you've you've lost a plot dude you've you've more than crossed the line like at, at that point you, you gotta just wipe your hands with this guy and just that's it you know
0: yeah i think i think you know like i'm not gonna deny that there's probably some interest in kaku's end in you know potentially exploring the feasibility of a move to mexico city because, I mean, it's true. I mean, this it's not every day that arguably the most popular club in North America comes calling for you. But, you know, I think, as you guys have rightfully pointed out, the strategy this entire time has been to more or less try and strong arm this club into selling him at a loss. And for a club that's this kind of business savvy and all about getting the most value that you can get in the transfer market, from teams that want your players, like that would be such a bad piece of business that it'll go against basically everything that they're um, they've been trying to sell themselves as for the last few years, right? And here's the deal. I mean, look, you're not gonna bully this club into selling at a loss. That's just a simple fucking fact. If you're not gonna pony up the cash that they want, the deal's dead. If you're not gonna and pissing and moaning in the media as much as you want is only gonna is only gonna convince them to, I believe, stand pat on the status quo for as long as possible. Because I think if you because the precedent it would set if the club caves in to this um I think underhanded nonsense is very dangerous because it basically tells other teams that you can bully the club into selling at a loss if you slander them enough in the media and bringing in comparisons to things like the Nazis in my opinion is only going it has has only risen it's a, sorry no it's only raised the need for the club to turn down their advances even more You know, I think they have to come to their senses sooner rather than later that they're not going to drive down the valuation by complaining in the press. They're only going to get their guy if they pay the money that Red Bull says they need to pay. And if they don't think that he's worth a club record transfer fee, wash your hands and move on because it seems that you have other targets that you've identified and you want to move on to. And if you can't do that and you want to continue being a bunch of fucking babies, then that's really just too bad.
2: Yeah, I think even like from a Red Bull perspective, like maybe twelve million is too much. Who knows what the actual numbers are from like what he was actually paid, but the numbers that they threw out, Red Bulls have to maximize the game at a bare minimum because they do get back whatever they spent before MLS takes their cut and before Huracan takes their cut. It seems they get back their initial investment if they pay. Like if that's the what. They pay over whatever they pay over. They get back the initial investment. But for Red Bull to really like the profit to be worth it at a bare minimum is you have to get that 750000 in allocation money for like just pure MLS stuff. Yeah. You have to max that out like because you are going to get your $5 million back that you can then reinvest. But you need to max out the GAM and the numbers that they seem to be throwing out aren't doing that. Like they could up, up it by 1 million and do that. And maybe Red Bulls gives in and they finally, they meet in the middle, but there's some ways that has to be go. And I think Kaku legitimately, there is reasons for him to want to go to Mexico. It probably is easier for some of his extended family to meet him there. Cause it's not like his wife and kids aren't in America with him. Like they were in central park with beat. Yeah. But, like, there is – I think there is some legitimacy to that. Yeah, it would be nicer there. There's some benefits of going. It's a world-class, like, top of the iceberg in North America. It's a big club. There are benefits. But also, you signed a contract here. One year ago, you were saying this is, the big, like, a big club. Like, you were saying these things, and now – you're going to piss people off because no fan base turns on a player like the Metro fan yeah. base.
1: Yeah, and and but even like just when you start talking about numbers and and, and some of the stuff that's been coming from from the agents' mouth, like all these reports have never made any sense. They've they the only level of consistency that these reports have had is really that they're all bullshit. <laughs> it's it, it really like early if if you really think about about kind of like some of the timeline of this stuff. First, and I might even be a little off on this, just because there's been so many bullshit stories. I, I don't even I don't even remember them all at this point in, in, uh, in order. But it went from uh, from they offered six to seven million, and then Red Bull count countered with oh sorry, Red Bull didn't even counter at all. I think it was, and then it came out that. No, they actually countered at like nine or ten million. Then eleven million was brought up. Then twelve million was brought up. All these numbers kept them kept on being thrown around. Originally, the report said that um, that one of the first reports mentioned that they were actually dealing with Austria, which I thought was extremely interesting because, to me, I mean, just for non-specific stuff related to this, I think that should that would have showed a much different dynamic between. Uh, you know the New York Rebels and and you know the 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 mothership over there. Um, I think some people may realize, but now all of a sudden, Minslav won't even answer your phone call. Now all of a sudden, Dennis is just shrugging his shoulder and saying, "No, just call them. I don't have an answer for you." Like there's just no consistency there in what in, in what they're saying. All of a sudden, now you're slandering, you know, Minslav, and you're 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 comparing him to like to to you know to to being Hitler and and how they're negotiating and. Now all of a sudden, this four point four million dollar figure came out of left field. Where did that number come from? Oh, I mean, I, you guys know I tracked the shit out of this last year, and pretty much every single final like report on the the, the transfer last year was everyone everyone's been using that six point two million dollar number, which is not inaccurate. It's actually that is what the team paid for, but five point five of that. About 5.5 went to Huracan. The rest was like taxes and fees because apparently at some point, I think 2017 or 2018, Argentina, like the country, actually changed like their tax laws. Where now, you know, basically whatever team was buying a player had to pay a certain portion or percentage or whatever. So 5.5 is what the team. All the reports said that the team paid for uh, uh, for kaku, and then it was another like 700,000 or so uh, in fees. So the number is actually 6.2. I don't know where they're getting 4.4, but it makes sense because what they're trying to do is make that $12 million offer seem even more unreasonable. All that number does now is make the team seem more unreasonable because that number has now come out about a day or two after even even the, the, the major media outlets started picking up on the fact that, wait, no, those numbers don't make sense because they still have to pay 20%. They're not even mentioning that MLS takes twenty five percent of of a certain portion too. They're just mentioning the twenty percent from Huracan. So now all of a sudden they're they're changing their narrative. Oh wait, that's right. Okay, we can't say five point five. We have to we have to make the number lower because then it makes their counter offer or supposed counter of offer of twelve million seem even more unreasonable. Because no, they could totally take seven or eight and make a profit because they only paid four point four for him. Like, this is just such a, a coordinated, horribly coordinated plan by his agent. And in every aspect, it's completely like just been smacked back to his face. Like, this is, he is the worst agent I think I've ever, I've ever, I've ever come across. He has Are not we
2: sure he's even a FIFA, like, dude, of, You know what? Like, I Googled, did some Googling. Couldn't find anything on him being like in any databases or anything. He might not.
1: And and it would make sense. Think about all the dumb stuff he's – yeah. Think about all the dumb stuff he's been doing and he's been saying and and all these terrible leaks that are getting disproven almost immediately like – None of this stuff makes sense, really, bro? You're gonna start talking about fucking coffee and IKEA? Like, come on, man. I, I don't think I don't think I don't think a professional athlete making fucking seven hundred and something thousand dollars a year is gonna get pissed off because you guys supposedly didn't didn't reimburse him for a fucking sofa i'll I'll That's fucking take him to IKEA right now and I'll buy him a fucking sofa to make him happy. Like, come on, really? That's the best you fucking had Uber and fucking and
2: sofas. Come on, man. I mean, I had said on Twitter for a guy who's supposedly now been unhappy for a while with no furniture and no Uber, the dude genuinely looks happy 99% of the time. That's hard to fake. That's hard to fake. <laughs> how, how do you fake that like genuine look happiness that he it outright projects so much of the time when you're so unhappy as your agent says It's just so... Like counter opposites to everything that was being said, up until Club America started offering everything before that. He was posting okay. about being the newcomer of the year. He was at Disney World. Then Club America come boom.
1: The day no before, the day before that news dropped, he posted a picture on Twitter facing New York City in his beautiful expensive downtown apartment in Jersey City that apparently has an unpaid for sofa but he sounded he he seemed happy with 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 that that tweet then the very next day all of a sudden he's this like disgruntled person who wants to throw you know furniture out the window because he hasn't been reimbursed for it. It's, it's fucking nonsense, right. I'm and,
0: sorry. And here's the thing, I mean, I was there at the airport when he came in with his legal team, right, uh, from that meeting, from that fated first flight from Buenos Aires, and Casasola was in tow with him and because he was the one who took the uh, now-famous picture that got leaked to TYC of me holding the Kaku Esmas <laughs> Grande KKK sign, okay? But here's the thing, I mean, the team literally were waiting for him with a private chauffeur and drove him in an SUV to Red Bull Arena to sign his contract. I mean, that doesn't really sound like a team that would kind of cheap out on things like that to me. And no. he was given, I believe that was one point four. we left and got back in her dad's car there, he got a jacket from AV. Like, dude, like... <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not exactly um, if, if it's really coming down to sofas, coffee, and Ubers. Like we, he's really letting this like gotten out of hand. You know, I think like it's very clear that this is a guy. This is his first rodeo, and he fucked up, and now yeah, he's desperate. Now he's desperate. <laughs> I mean, this is his first rodeo, and now the bull's running rampant. Like R.I.P., dude. I'm sorry, but I don't think you. And,
1: and not only like that. Now, now, look. It's important to remember that the way MLS salaries are, and really any, I mean, not just even in MLS, it's 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 all over the world. You know, a lot of times you build for guys who are coming from overseas. You do build in um, a cost associated to helping them, you know, get a place of living, you know, for for housing, for furniture and stuff like that. But like that's usually included, like in the salary. That's not. Like separate paychecks, you're not getting your your hey great assist this week paycheck, and then hey you know tomorrow you get your IKEA paycheck. It doesn't work like that. Like that, it, it, <laughs> for 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 him to come out and and cite issues with 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 Uber and issues with with uh, with furniture. Like to me that you're just at that point you're diving so deep. You're just like casually remembering that one time that Gaku was like, damn, Uber sucks, or some stupid shit. You know, or like there's absolutely no justifiable reason why something as simple as that couldn't have been handled and fixed by someone from the team. There there, there are people yes. in the team who are dedicated to 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 helping with these situations. Okay, fine. His he actually elaborated on the issue, apparently because I guess Gaku's account originated in Argentina. When he came to the U.S., I guess it was some kind of like verification issue. I that I'm sure that could happen, but you know what? I'm sure he has contacts at the front office, and I don't believe for one fucking second. I don't believe for one second that he would not that he felt he couldn't just pick up the phone and call one of the other players that also lives. in in downtown Jersey city or someone that lived in Hoboken or someone from the front office. Like somebody would have helped him in that situation. That is such nonsense. But the fact that he's got to dive that deep into the situation, he's grasping for straws. This is to me, this screams a rookie agent who has no idea what he got himself into, picked the wrong club to fuck with and is just getting completely fucking desperate.
2: Also the CBA like that's negotiated has rules on how much can be spent on like relocation expenses mm-hmm. so like for a first team M- first time MLS player which Kaku would be he only can get up to 7500 in reasonable and necessary document relocation expenses he can get housing expenses and per diem for up to 14 days he can get a rental car for up to 10 days if player does not have a driver's license reasonable transportation expenses will be reimbursed and coach airfare for him and his f- immediate family. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like that's about it. That's all the CBA negotiated for him like for a new player to MLS. It's not like that 7500 in relocation on top of your $700,000 contract can get you some furniture.
1: And and this isn't his first he didn't just get transferred here. He was here for a year. He was here for a whole year last year, so they, whatever weird like issues that he may have had with trying to figure out traveling and stuff, like I get that, like that shit's got to be tough, especially if you if you've never been outside the country like that, if, if if it's a whole different language and a different environment, and just look whether it's Jersey City or Hoboken or you cross over even worse into New York City, this is a very congested and and it's a very congested area that can be very overwhelming. I get that, but you've been here for a year that to me, that's not an excuse. That's, that's bullshit. I can understand the family part. I am very, very sure that there is, there is an element of the family that, that bothers him because he's got a big family. His mother passed away. He seems to kind of be at the, the, you know, the, the weight of his entire family's on his shoulders. As far as like sister, you know, the siblings and stuff like that. I get that. And I know that if he does go to Mexico, it's a lot easier for them to visit because I, from what I've heard, you don't need a visa to travel from Argentina uh, to Mexico to visit. So I get all that stuff. But you knew this a year ago when you signed that the same the same agent that's now complaining that he doesn't make enough, who negotiated that contract in which he doesn't get enough. You guys had plenty of time to go over this stuff, and I'm sure they did. I'm sure they went over that stuff. So. For me, this goes back to what I've been saying from the beginning. Do I believe that Gaku wants to go to Club America? Yes. I think he has said it himself. But there is a difference. You could have a good job and be happy at your job, be content at your job. You may wish things were different. And if you got an offer that just – with a big company that had better benefits, that was closer and and just had a lot of positives – you can want that job while still being content and happy at your current job. And I think that's maybe what some people are, are, are missing here. I don't believe a single fucking thing that Agent Asshole has to say. Whatever he says is bullshit. No, none of that matters. Never happens. He's, he's, it's nonsense. So I'm only going to go based on what Gaku himself has said. And in his two interviews that he's had since, since this whole nonsense started, he has said that he's happy here. He doesn't. He. It's just an opportunity, a big opportunity that has benefits that he would like. To me, that's not a disgruntled player. And even today, he also, and he even acknowledged today. He even acknowledged today that whether I stay, he's. But you know, he basically said that I'm going to keep training, which is counter to what his agent decided to lead to the media. But he said that he will keep training because whether he stays or he leaves, it is his job to be ready that doesn't sound like someone yeah. who wants to run out of here.
2: Yeah, I think in the end, no matter what happens, he is a professional and he understands like what his duty is. So I don't I know people are want to, are kind of quick to like just let him go, just get rid of him. Clearly he doesn't want to be here. I think it's really an amazing opportunity that he doesn't want to pass up and I don't blame him for that. But if he does have to stay, I think he'll be the ultimate professional. He's still going meg people he's still going to play at a high level i just don't see him being the type from what we've seen throughout the year he just doesn't strike me as the type of player who will mail it in who just will like get out of shape stop trying it just doesn't he seems like he enjoys playing the game like he gets so much enjoyment just from being on the field that he wouldn't jeopardize that just the pro, like the force the hand like yeah. if he really was trying to force the hand he wouldn't be training he would have just not shown up to the facilities he wouldn't have a- gone to MOS media like he wouldn't have acted in a professional manner like if he was really as if he was just basically doing as his agent is doing he would have or saying he would have not been in florida right now there's i think there's levels to it yeah i I think i'm going to throw on one little
0: um piece of analysis i think that kind of ties this whole thing together uh in response to another one of our questions in the mailbag coming from uh, edward ritter likely successors to kaku if slash when he leaves and um to be honest i'm gonna be straight up in saying this right now edward that um i don't know anyone in the roster right now outside of maybe Sean Davis, who is prepared to step in to that attacking midfield role. Um, and that is kind of also the reason why I don't think like the club is as insistent on selling Aku as the press makes them out to be, you know, and because if you look at the team's activity in past transfer windows in anticipation for players leaving, usually the players they bring in, foreshadow someone currently on the roster leaving you know i think people will people have in my discussions with people on the matter you know they brought they brought up the shocking you know dax mccarty and sasha question trades but i'm gonna have a very big but here if you look in hindsight looking back at the roster setup in preparation to the trades of the two of them tyler adams emerging at red bull 2 necessitated i think moving on from Dex. And this is sort of like the internal player development that necessitated a move with the senior roster. You know, I think Tyler emerging very much, a, probably a higher ceiling player than Dax McCarty. And I loved Dex, don't get me wrong, but you can't park a, a prospect like Tyler Adams behind Dax McCarty, Just why they traded him. Sasha question as well. You know, I think looking back in hindsight with how... Deep, they were looking in the transfer window for a replacement attacking midfielder at that point, and they came across Kaku himself. Like that necessitated a trade for Sasha Koleshin, because you had to open up a spot for someone on the roster who'd be a bit more of a fit for being the creative playmaker in the system. You know, like we didn't re- we didn't know it at the time because they kept it under wraps for such a long time. But with how quick it emerged upon trading question that we were in for Kaku, by the way. Seeing as how the Kaku rumors emerged around Christmas. Like we knew around that time that question was probably gonna be moved, and it happened, I think, maybe two or three days after New Year's Day 2018. So
2: I mean the team knew they were trading question like the day after the season end. They probably knew in the playoffs. Like they knew like question was like being that was something that was happening and they knew it was happening, and it wasn't like it just took time for the news to break, but that was like Day after, yeah, he's gone. I would, like we're I, yeah,
1: would we're- I would argue they knew even before then. I would argue they 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 knew probably sometime like early fall. Remember, Jesse, Jesse spoke about this pretty openly, um uh around like in some of the media stuff. He went, I think it was him and Dennis, or maybe just him. I forgot who they went to Argentina like almost immediately after the playoffs were over. They've they like they were, I mean they were actively scouting this guy. As early as I mean, you'd have to you'd have to guess what September, October. If you really, really want to gather as much information from from a guy as possible, you don't just jump on a flight right after the playoffs without really knowing what what you're going there for. So yeah, Dax Dax's career with Red Bulls was kind of written in a wall. I think at some point in the middle of of 2016 same thing with sasha some at some point you know towards the the you know three quarters of the way into 2017 this team thinks about stuff way ahead of time we I, I think there's enough evidence to 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 show that
2: i also think with a situation like this it's not something you can prepare for like you can't prepare for a hostile bid a player it's just it's not we're not the premier league we're not an open system whatever you have to say about that but it's not a league where you can just stash a player, of that's a, a quote unquote difference maker, like your high paid creative player in the middle. You just can't have them. Like you can't have three of them on the roster. Like sure, we could have a third DP, but where do you even play someone who plays that same position? You don't. So it's not something they can like had really like been like, oh, yeah, we were ready for this. Like, Sure, they probably have targets now that if they do sell, but it's not something like they could have pre-prepared like they did with Tyler leaving where they could bring in another young, a couple young center mids and kind of have that depth rebuilding to bring up. And they had like a RZA. They had other players It's just this type of thing you just can't prepare for. And that's the point that I was
0: trying to get at here is that like with usually I I haven't seen the sort of same, you know, coordinated preparation that is made, you know, for something like this happening and is probably why like with how unanticipated this hostile bid was that I think they have even less incentive. To sell, You know, I think maybe I'm wrong and they do have someone identified because, you know, like uh, if they're throwing valuations out there, you know, there has to be some semblance of confidence that they'd be able to bring someone in to play. And we just don't really know who he is yet because the MLS transfer window closes in like what? March or something. Right. Like it, it closes late. Um, May. Yeah. May, May. First. You know, like, <laughs> May. Yeah. They have if this deal does end up going through, you know, they, they still have four months to bring a guy in. I mean, maybe, yeah, you know, it's true. You, you can't prepare for every situation, no matter how meticulous you are, but based on what we've seen in the past and based on how, you know, I figure like how much, like how big of a factor Kaku seemed to be in team's plans going into 2019. Like my stance on this has always been, I don't see uh, has always been I don't see them breaking away from this long term plan that involves Kaku unless they receive an offer that blows them out of the water, which as of now is a club record fee from Club America, in ranging from ten to twelve million dollars, you know, and it, that's basically where it stands for for me, in which why I still don't think that this is likely, you know, because I don't think the criteria has been met. Yeah, and, and wouldn't
1: this actually be a record both ways? This would be a record spend from them, and wouldn't that be a record um sell for yeah? Uh, sell it would for finally
0: eclipse Josie's and twelve uh, transfer record to Villarreal. Yeah, ten. Josie was. 10. Josie was like ten.
1: But yeah, I mean, but like e- even if even if they do have some targets, I, I can't imagine them having well scouted targets for that specific position when you already did that work and you got your guy that you did that work for. You know, so I'm sure they have some guys kind of just in mind in their system somewhere, but you know, like like you said, this isn't, you know, we're not in the Premier League. We're not in, in in the Bundesliga. We're not in one of these super high level clubs where you can just go and just, you know, you know who these players are. You don't even have to do that much scouting. You know who these guys are and you can just kind of pick them up. And just spend whatever money you need and, and call it a day. You really have to plan this stuff out. And even if you do have that target, you don't you don't just. I don't. Know if people think transfers just happen like in a week or two, these things take time. Especially if you're bringing someone in from the outside, you there's negotiating contracts. Yeah, there's they're seeing if they're even willing to uh, 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 to sell the guy, the player. The player has to to be convinced that they want to leave. You have to negotiate the sale. You have to negotiate the, the salary and all the crazy details with that. Even if you look at Gaku himself, Jesse said that he went down there, uh, that they went down there uh, uh, almost immediately after the playoffs. That's what, middle November, end of November? Okay, so we didn't hear about the transfer until, what was it, the end of December. It was right after Christmas. That's about yeah. a month. That's about a good month. And even if all that stuff didn't happen with with, uh, with the agent, you figure there probably still would have been another, week, another, let's say, two weeks or so to kind of finalize stuff. Because at that point, it was just like, hey, we just got inside information that this transfer is going to happen, not that it was officially done. So even if, let's say, they have a target right now, they have a guy, they're not going to probably come in by the time all those negotiations are done and all the, the complicated stuff, they're probably not going to be here until sometime in beginning or middle of March. So people have to kind of have reasonable expectations too of not just are they getting completely blindsided with this, but now you're being blindsided with not preparing and and, and needing to do the work of now finding that replacement and the negotiations associated with yeah. that. But to Len's point, this is counter to what this team has always done. There was already a replacement for Dax months before they decided to trade him. There was already a replacement for Sasha months before that happened. This is different. The team has had no intention to letting him go. So there is no think current
2: replacement. If they were to sell him in the hypothetical, you just say, we'll sell him in the summer. We'll do it even for a little less. But that gives you that time to hone in on, like, here's our three guys to replacement. Here's the hone in on one. Start the negotiation process and have them ready to come in. Because, like, Kaku is going to miss a lot of time with Copa America. So his price will go up then. It's just, if he's really unhappy and it's really just makes sense that like, yeah, we got to move on from this guy. This is just, it's not, there's no point in keeping this together. Then, yeah, summer is the most logical time to try to move him and maximize value for him and the team. Like it's a win-win in a way that, because he's probably can get work out that he gets some of that transfer fee. That the team's paying. Like there's ways to like work it out, but it's not going to be playing a friendly against Club America where all the Mexicans gonna come and you'll net two million. That's not gonna work it out. Oh, I <laughs> forgot about that part. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> that was like, oh, okay, he's stupid. And then he went on a rant today and you're like, yeah. oh, he's stupid, <laughs> stupid.
1: Yeah. Like this wasn't
2: this wasn't just like he
1: oh, yeah. wasn't knocking a couple of drinks down and just like
0: says something stupid yeah, but now yeah. he's just an idiot oh we're
2: doing drugs <laughs> drugs yeah
0: <laughs> i guess um uh, i mean i guess to kind of put the bow on all of this i mean look guys like if you want mls to if you want mls to grow like rumors and hostile takeovers like this are only going to grow as the big boys start paying more attention to the talent in this league so uh, i mean i kind of hate to say it but yep. this is only the beginning of transfer sagas like this you guys um Welcome to Big Club shit everyone. This is
1: Yeah.
2: You want is, you want to be a big club. This is club. what happens when you complain. From this is what happens when you complain of being bored. You said the off season was boring. Yeah. Now are you not entertained? We went
0: from <laughs> 0 to 100 real fast, man. Like it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I think
2: we're at a million now.
1: <laughs> I also just want to ad- 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 just address something real quick cuz it's like really really annoyed me. But some people are I've seen some tweets with people with this. I don't care about the team's finances. You know, that's not my problem, blah, blah. I don't think anyone actually gives a shit about the team's finances. I don't give a fuck about Red Bull's bank account. The only bank account I care about is mine. Fuck Bank of America, by the way. That's the only thing I care about. Now, do I care about how the team Like, do I care about how I see the team managing the money? Yes, in the sense that it shows that they know what the fuck they're doing. Because if they don't, you end up like Orlando. So it is good to see that the team does know how to make smart financial decisions because we are in a salary capped league where the salary cap is only $4.2 million. and But here you have teams with eight, nine, 15, 20, $26 million rosters. That shit is fucking complicating to manage. So I, yes, I like seeing my team know and, sh- and demonstrate that they know how to financially navigate the stupid complex rules of, of of MLS, but it doesn't mean that I'm like standing for their fucking for their financials. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like pop a bottle of whiskey if they fucking you know sell Kaku for twelve million dollars and they make whatever three million dollar profit. I don't give a shit about that. That's not going in my pocket. I don't I, I don't understand why people feel like because you want your team to maximize their profit that somehow means that like. I want to be their fucking financial advisor. I don't give a shit about that. To me, that's just Or you show, want
2: the players sold.
1: Yeah, like to me, that that just says that okay, they're 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 doing the smart business decision of getting as much money as they can so they can reinvest. So they can get a player who comparable or better than him and now make the team that I support better. That's the whole point. You 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 root for those things and you hope that they make the right financial decision because ultimately that does affect the quality of the play. That does affect the team's ability to get the things that you people fucking want so bad, and that's trophies. So people need then- to stop with this bullshit of like, just because you know, some people are like, no, like if you're gonna sell them, sell for a profit. That's nothing to fucking do with me wanting to, 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 to brag about financial, I'll give a fuck about that shit. So like, stop that already. You sound fucking crazy. Like that shit is like, that pisses me off because that, to me, that demeans, that demeans people like myself if like what my real interest is, my interest is the team performing well. And just because I can understand how those financial decisions affect and, 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 and directly impact the team and how they plan the field. Doesn't mean make, doesn't mean I'm 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 some fucking financial stand. That shit doesn't mean anything to me.
2: Yeah, I get where people are coming from in that like originally when it first came out, it's like yeah, it seemed kind of no one knew like that there was this hostile at first. It seemed like so it kind of like a lot of people's initial reaction is oh here goes Red Bull selling another player. I don't care if like this is a good price. Like no one wants us to sell Tyler Adams. No one wants us to sell Kaku. Like, imagine how good we could be if we never sold our players. We would have, like, Josie Aldador, Tim Ream. Like, no one wants us to sell these players. But at a certain point, you have to just, like, accept that the reality is Tyler outgrew this league or would have outgrown this league. And he has just ambition. And We're just not the best league in the world. And I can't blame him for wanting to go. So in the i know he's going to go might as well x ex- want my team to make the most money from him like why can't i want what's best for my team wants to like support one of my favorite players doing what he wants to do and feels is best for him why should i say let's keep him here longer and leave let him leave on a free he's going to leave either way might as well get something i can reinvest it's not that we are like, oh, yes, we're making profit. It's more, it's going to happen. Why like, why delay it just to get one more year when we can, and have an unhappy player when we can, you have to do what's right. Like what's right by the player is to sell Adams to Leipzig. What's right by the team is to make money off of it and get a good deal. What's right, like to sell Kaku may be right, but they must sell him at a good deal. And it's, I don't get what's wrong with wanting the team to get a good deal. It's not saying we want him to be gone. No, we don't. But we want the team in the reality that he will be sold or may be sold. We don't want to just sell him for pennies on the dollar. We want to sell him for $12 fucking million. <laughs> yeah,
1: because again, at the end of the day, those things still ultimately affect the quality of the team. If, if yeah, you could have – like people really think that if you just kept – Adams as a prisoner until in the end of his contract that he was going to like, just still stick around. No, his contract was, I think, set to, uh, was set to expire at the end of this year. So you want to keep him for just one more year. And then the player just walks on a free, as opposed to the team actually being able to get some money out of that, which they can then reinvest. But I think that's a problem because people are still convinced in their heads that this team doesn't invest. That this team doesn't spend money, despite all the evidence contrary, you could you can pull out shit all you want. They will still insist to the end of the fucking universe that the team is cheap. They don't. I saw someone bring up Dax money again, which I wanted to fucking just like I wanted to just bash my head in the goddamn fucking uh, uh, on my desk. People, there's just some people who can't be convinced that the team actually knows what they're doing and that they make decisions that. In their minds, at least, are honestly in hopes of doing the best for the team. If that means yeah. if that means selling a Tyler Adams, so that you can get some money off that and then again reinvest, then you do it. If that means getting you know trading Dax for some for some allocation money to give you some roster relief while also promoting this guy uh, 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 promoting uh, Adams, you do it. Like you said with Gaku, you don't want to sell him. Who why would you why would the team want to sell him? But if you're in a position where you might be forced, where like the player really might push the issue that much, why would you sell him at a loss? At,
2: why would you do that? Or like criticize for people for wanting a yeah. profit. Like it's crazy to me. I just the final note, I think like I can understand if like you're saying, oh, like Riza, I don't think he's worth. A TAMP deal. I can get that. We may value the player differently. We may see him play differently. But like I can respect. Yeah, we see his valuation differently. I don't get the, oh, we don't spend the money. Like Tim Parker, he's not a DP, but he's getting a $750,000 contract. Do the math there. That means we're using allocation money to buy down mm-hmm. his cap hit. So that is money. The solidify our back line. That's money that will also go to Aaron Long, hopefully the solidify the best back line in the league by a far margin. Like, it's not close. We, we basically have a DP center back.
1: I mean, that if you're a TAM player, you're making DP money. Your, 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 your MLS designation is different. That's the only difference.
0: Uh, I mean, as far as I'm concerned with spreadsheet boy chat, I mean, like, we can go on here and just talk, like, forever about, like – um why like people are kind of like taking things the wrong way because i think the crux of the issue here with this whole red bull is cheap or don't reinvest the money thing is that red bull's not reinvesting the money in a way that they find either easily appreciable or in a way that they want you know and honestly from my yep. personal standpoint like i'm just fucking tired of i don't really see the need to convince people like uh, continuously that this club doesn't spend money because I am comfortable in the fact knowing that we reinvest cash in ways that help the team, which include nailing down very important players from last year with contract extensions or investing the money into a a academy where we can continue to churn out talent um, that can help our mid to the low end parts of the roster and get more value out of that. than you know, bringing in someone of that level from the outside of which you'll probably have to spend a bit more money of doing, you know, it's always been about value for money for me and not so much just like, like this very reductive argument that I get from the other side, which is that, Oh, you, you get off on making profits off of players. I mean, like I'm, I, I, I'm tired of it. I I don't see the need to uh, convince other people otherwise anymore. And if that's really kind of what, if that's the road that you want to go down, well, I mean, that's your own fucking problem, man, because I think we can see that there are other things going on here that don't involve having to bring in like expensive imports to be bench strikers or bench wingers. You know, it's just. It, it, it,
2: I'll bang this drum till like the day it changes, but I think the biggest issue is that. MLS is just so untransparent in how much allocation money a team has. How are they actually spending that allocation besides trades so that if you can't see it, I get why people don't think it's getting spent because it's just not out there easily accessible to say, oh, like this is our cap. This is how X is being spent. Like I don't, I will go to my grave because I don't think MLS will change it. saying MLS rules are not that complicated. If you have all the information, it's complicated because you're working with a quarter mm-hmm. of the pie. Yeah. Like you can't like, let me fill in a circle, but you only get one fourth of that circle to create the, like you just can't do it. That's why it seems like backwards complicated. Like, Oh, he's working the rules. Like he did this crazy treat. Maybe it's not actually that complicated. We just don't have, aren't privy to what the, like all the information that I will bang that drum till like my final day.
1: I agree. And like, realistically, MLS is kind of hard for casuals because if you're really not that into it, all, you know, are just the optics of trading DAX. And if you don't understand the rules, it's hard for someone to, 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 not even hard. You just don't know. You don't under, you don't know what, what it really meant
2: for that trade you just and there's no reason to know because that's just being a nerd like me
1: exactly but like i guess where and look i will never 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 ever ever like begrudge someone who's just casually like this is stupid or like and who just doesn't know the rules i get that like i admit i'm a nerd but where i get annoyed is like when people who are more in tune with the league who aren't just casuals who might not understand the rules but then you try to like, just explain to them the rules and let them understand. Okay, yes, I know the optics may be bad of let's say the DAX trade. And yes, I know you're screaming, you know, what, what happened to the DAX money. Well, here's some theory. Here's some real, legitimate possibilities of how that DAX money was used, but you just angrily brushed it off because the team is stupid and cheap. That's those are the people that I get upset about. Those are the people who I end debate, uh, who I end up, you know, arguing with and debating with. Not the people who just don't know the rules, or aren't interested in the rules. No, I get that. Like these rules are fucking stupid, and I, I wouldn't wish this shit on fucking anyone to to waste the time trying to learn this shit because it's complicating. But it's not those people who I think are the problem. It's the people who, again, are more involved in the league and who just. Hear the possibilities of where this money could be used. The Parker money, perfect example. There's a lot of money being used for that. Royer is 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 a TAM player. Ivan may actually end up being a TAM player. I'm interested to see what his uh 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 the salary the salary release <laughs> for this year. Yeah. Well, let's see. I mean, if he ends up you know showing he's worth it, but then then who knows? But the point is, the team uses a lot of, of allocation money. That's a fact. When someone showed you that. And you still resist and say no, you're they're 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 not spending. I mean, yeah. really? At that point like they
2: spent the even get Parker. That was like Yeah. They uh, sent allocation money. Like I understand it, like I get probably should move on, but I just like I feel I will always say it's a lot more on MOS. They need to like definitely. it's about time that we have be able to go on MLS.com, play around with a trade simulator, and be able to say, Oh, we can trade this person. Like that's stuff that's why NBA is so engaging to like the casual fan is because you can go on TV and you can have the guy with the touch board and going, Oh, like look at this scenario. Oh, they could sign this person. They have this much, like you just can't do that with MLS. And that makes it hard for like, even the casual fan who wants to learn or like wants to understand the more nuanced things. It's just like, you really have to like dig deep. And even then it's,
0: yeah, confusing. I think, yep. um, yeah, I think that kind of summates everything because I think we've spent, like, in my opinion, quite a fair bit of too much time on this issue. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I think we we're we're going to move on to something a bit more optimistic, obviously, because I think we do have rumors of, and we do have confirmed signings actually. So uh, first and foremost, you know, I think just to recap the last few weeks of inbound transfer activity, homegrown deal for Omir Fernandez. Rumors linking us to Belgian midfielder Hans Van de Bruggen from KV Kortrijk, and t- today a very exciting announcement that um, this, uh, in spite of you know um, indications that the deal bringing him back was dead, Mark Chukovsky back from Red Bull Salzburg. This time he's ours permanently on a deal for twenty nineteen. So I think um, midfield reinforcements are in the agenda clearly, and. You know, before anyone gets out of hand, like these are not Kaku replacements, okay? Like these are defensively minded midfielders who are potentially coming into to bolster the ranks. Like having looked at Van der Bruggen, like I think he has some event, he has some of his statistics fall in line with someone in like that Tyler Adams role. And we already know about Mark Tchaikovsky, right? Like I think he's definitely a fan favorite, and him coming back with the club for 2019 is huge to our midfield depth because you know, now we have that extra choice who kind of is tested and proven to a degree in MLS that we can kind of slot in if it turns out that Christian as an insurance policy for Christian Casares you know I think Rizzo being back is great in my opinion and I'm very happy that that got done because he is like the definition of just completely serviceable veteran midfield center veteran center midfielder he can plug into our system and just play from the go. You know, I think he really proved that last year, and I'm really excited to see more of him in uniform. Um, now this puts the options at center midfield as being Davis, Casares, Tchaikovsky, and maybe Kofi get some minutes, and potentially five, depending on whether or not the deal for Van der Bruggen gets done. We've only been linked to him in Belgian media, and the deal's been kind of, you know... It's given, kind of been on the down low as, as part of the course for this team, but, you know, I think having, having had a look at some of his tape, you know, I am quite encouraged by um, what he can potentially bring to the table. The only potential problem, of course, being the fact that he's kind of a foul machine, you know, like I think seven bookings this season in the uh, in the Juleper Pro League is not a coincidence that he's already... in. <laughs> so... Um, Altogether, I think you know. I think the outlook on this team going into 2019 definitely got a bit more rosier, in spite of uh, the giant cloud hanging over preseason right now, known as Gustavo Casasola. Um, what do you guys feel about this? I think um, I think you know, they're to kind of build on top of this. Like it seems to me that with how much they've zoned in on not just center midfield depth, but also wing depth. I think. Wing depth is particularly the point that I think find a bit more interesting because I think it indicates to me that some of the wingers that are currently on the roster are on the bubble going into the season. You know, guys like Marcus Epson, now Omir Fernandez coming in, like definitely a warning shot for the wingers currently on the roster. Like, what do you guys feel?
1: I am very, yeah, very I happy think, with nope. – uh, oh, I'm sorry.
2: Go ahead, Fernando.
1: No, no, I'm I'm very very happy with uh with them si- signing Ibrahima. Uh, I'm not too thrilled with the idea of, you know, a, a going on twenty nine year old midfielder who's got some you know pretty lengthy history of injury problems. But for for what I'm sure they brought him in for, um, you know, an apparent TAM deal, questionable TAM deal. I think weird how it, however it's structured. Um, but if you're gonna bring someone like that in, at least let it be someone who is familiar and he's been a part of the rebel system for a, quite a while now. So he, I, I feel he proved his value last year. Um, hopefully he can do a little bit better on the injuries this year. And, and yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if you're going to bring a veteran guy in, in my opinion, it's going to be someone like that. He knows the system. He knows how to play. He's been here. He knows the guys, he knows the league that that's almost as good as, as, uh, as you, as you kind of want to get in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I think, Rizzo's kind of like the perfect signing for what they need. The kind of we know Castores is going to miss time, especially the way Venezuela is doing in qualifying. He's probably going to the U20 World Cup if they continue to win as they are. So, and he's going to be late getting back to camp and probably won't be ready for the first CCL match, maybe not even the second one. That's just because he's playing with the U-20s and that tournament goes into February as is. So having Riza back, having that security blanket of a guy who can play attacking mid, it's not his preferred, it's not his best, but he can do it if needed. He can play the eight, he can play the six, he can kind of do it all in the center of the midfield is a really good thing to have. And I don't think, like I know a lot is made about signing youth, but I think that's really more geared to who they're going to put a lot of money into, like really spend on, is going to be someone younger with some sell-on potential. I don't think they're totally against buying a slightly older player, someone in their 20, late 20s, if they can contribute, and Reza has shown that he can contribute. Hopefully, he stays healthier, but he also showed that he's great in the locker room and he's like loved in the locker room and he gets along with everyone, and he's a great presence there.
0: Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, I, 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 I don't really subscribe completely to this idea that every guy we go out and sign has to be this sort of young profile guy who can resale. I think their ideal targets are usually guys who they can get resale value for after developing them into something greater than what they currently were when they first came into the club. But I think if you look at some activity in the transfer market, you know, I think there is room for guys entering the prime who can do a solid job at MLS level for maybe two or three years as sort of like being your sort more top end guys, you know, and what I refer to this in the sense of guys like Daniel Royer and guys like, um, now Mark Tchaikovsky, you know, I think there is room on this roster for guys of that profile. The only problem is is that we're not going to necessarily build the team around guys like that. You know, we're going to build the team around guys who, are have high ceilings, high potentials that they can grow into. But we also cannot deny that more, you know, solid guys in your prime are very good complements to that talent. You know, because oh, these yeah. are guys who sort of fit that twenty-five to twenty-eight profile are going to be guys who um, these younger talents are going to be playing with once they make their big move. You know, so I think there's that level of integration there, getting them to have that feel of. Uh, Playing with higher quality players on the same team first, and then, you know, because I think you kind of need that balance to a degree, for sure. So, um, yeah,
1: I I just want to clarify that that you know, me my opinion when it comes to, to the age conversations, I'm not against signing someone like in their you know middle late twenties at all. My only concern with someone you know 28, 29, or older is just the physical aspects as far as how this team trains and plays over the course of an entire season you know uh, 29 30 year old obviously is not going to be able to handle a really brutal long season across you know champions league mls us open cup and a deep playoff run the way a 22 23 24 25 year old is going to handle it so that's just want to throw it out there i'm totally for you know like a solid veteran presence like a Roy or like a rizza but at the same time i for me it's just keeping that in mind, you know, as far as the, the, the issues with, you know, with injuries and random ailments and stuff like that. Colin Royer's had a couple of issues. Riss has had a couple of issues. So that's more, you know, where my concern is.
0: I think um, the, so I think a couple of questions relating to uh, the outlook of the team as a result of some of these signings. So um, the first one coming from Jojo actually so thanks for this question, Jojo. Um, I feel like people on the sensible side of red of the Red Bull world, cough, Twitter, cough, <laughs> have not been talking about Marcus Epps or Andreas Ivan enough. Where do you think that they will fit in? Ideally, what role would either of you like to see them in? And what is a realistic projection as far as production? And I think this is why I wanted to kind of center the conversation around the new wingers that we've brought in for a bit, because um, I, I think that... This is, as I mentioned earlier, this is a warning shot, right? I think some guys are on the bubble this year, and amongst them will be guys like Etienne. Maybe, I hope I don't get roasted for this. Maybe Alex Mwil, maybe. We don't know. I think he's a very good option in the squad, and he's probably shown more in his time in uniform than Derek Etienne has, so I don't think we should move on from Mwil. But we have to, we don't know. Alex for life. (laughs) <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> and I think you can reasonably make um, you could reasonably make an assumption right now that it wouldn't be shocking if this was Daniel Royer's last year with the team too. So guys like Epps and Ivan factor into this decision as well. And talking about Marcus Epps, you know, I think the buzz on him was that this was kind of an understated acquisition, but one that could kind of pay Dividends if he buys into the system and you know replicates some of that goal scoring punch that we see from Danny Royer. But I think what's nice about Epps is that he's definitely a bit more of an athlete than Royer is, and there have been he has this capability from what we saw from his limited clips in Philadelphia to dribble a fair bit more than Danny Royer and create a bit more off the dribble than Danny Royer was. And I think I've always been a hard advocate for bringing in someone in that role who offers more playmaking um, off the dribble in one-on-one situations. And that's what Ivan and Epps give us. You know, you start to see that more from Andy Ivan as he got more comfortable with uh, the team system towards the end of the year as well. I think like you could probably expect them to uh, be in a competition for a starting spot. I think there's going to be some churn at that position and Whoever shows the most, I think, in preseason will be the incumbent starter going into the season. I think Epps and Ivan in particular are definitely in the conversation for that because of the types of things that they offer. You know, I still think it I still thought that it's too early to kind of call time on Andy Ivan's usefulness because he's only he only showed everything in five minute spurts. Like we can't make the same exclusives for Gonzalo Varone and not apply them to Andy Ivan in my opinion because they suffered from the same fundamental problem of not really having that much playing time to show what they can do once they're fully integrated, you know? And that's why I think it'd be too early to to say that Andy Ivan wouldn't be a useful piece for us. It's just that now the competition at those wing spots is going to be higher, especially now that you know Florian Below is back as well, right? So, um, realistic projections for Marcus Epson, and Andy Ivan, you know, like, I would consider a five goals slash five assist season from either of them to be probably the best case scenario. Um, yeah. I think, it's, bit players. Uh, I think it's hard
2: to make projections just now, since we haven't had the first, like we haven't had that first preseason game. Like we're working on like a lot of limited information. Like I think they're going to have an impact because, one Velo's going they're not going to rush Velo back. Like they were saying in that all access they did on Bezicore, Duncan, Velo that they're still kind of neutral at some in some drills, they're not fully full contact yet. So they're not a hundred percent back. So there, that provides some depth there. And I think they offer something a little different. Like Epps, I think supposedly he he's very quick and he can like he just needs to be more consistent in his continued effort is what I heard from Philly fans. Is that like when he's on, he could be really special, but sometimes there's different, like he's not always on and he can disappear. But I feel like in the Red Bull system, you don't really disappear so that the system could really benefit him and help him break out. Cause he has a lot of the physical skill sets. He's good on the ball. He's the type of guy who will run at a defender late in the game, tired defender and burn them from pace. Like, beat the guy one-on-one and just make stuff happen off the bench, stuff like that. So I think he could have the potential to be a very impactful player, especially if we maybe see Velo played more as a striker, if they want to give Bradley more rest days to keep his legs fresh, which is as he gets older, something I think we see more. So I think there's going to be a lot of fluidity, and it's very possible that someone like Ivan N or Epps could break out. I think they have the potential to do it, I think we'll learn more, maybe at the end of this Florida cam, potentially more in Tucson, because I doubt they'll stream the games in Florida. Just the cynic in me. Yeah, no, they're not.
1: Uh, I think Andrew, <laughs> Andrew, Andrew, Andrew tweeted earlier saying that um, the games aren't being streamed, which sucks. But
0: yeah,
2: they'll we'll get the Tucson games. But yeah,
0: I think the, the team did some of this last year, though, where they showed like small clips of uh, notable moments from the scrimmages.
2: Yeah, they'll give us the highlights, like the yeah. Like I remember, that's power, where that's,
0: that's where I fell in love with Carlos Rivas for the first time, because he had that Howard of a free kick, you know, that he buried. <laughs> yes, left leg. Yeah, yeah. Like, that was rad, like, oh, dude.
2: Rivas is coming true. Yeah, I, I was like,
0: shit, he weaponized his left leg, <laughs> like he's gonna score Colossus <laughs> only.
2: <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm biased to Neilist. They posted that one clip where he tackled someone. And I was like, yeah, this guy's legit. <laughs> <laughs> that one training clip. It was seven seconds long, but he put in that, like, he covered ground. Neilis MVP. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it can be a little deceptive. What can I say? Yeah.
0: Um, but, you know, I, I think um, – well, oh, The I, potentials oh. there. Yeah, potential's there for a breakout. I can I'm think I'm thinking that they either make a case to start at right wing sometime during the season, or they're just valuable pieces off the bench if we need goals or something dangerous late in the game. So I think that's sort of what I think I think that we can all agree that that's sort of like the outlook in their season. Um I, a second I, question. Oh, I'm sorry,
1: sorry. I just want no, to bring in mention too that like I, I think people also need to have like, I guess, tempered expectations across the board. I feel like I think a lot of people expect everyone to be a difference maker. Like people expect everyone to be like the best player on the team. And I just don't think that's realistic. Like you're going to have guys who are just decent players who might only get, you know, a couple goals and a couple of assists and that's, that's fine. Like it's okay to have a player like that. Not every single player, not every single attacker on the team Needs to have, you know, 10 goals and 10 assists. It's okay if a guy ends up with a season with, you know, five goals and five assists. To me, especially if you're a guy coming off the bench, that's a damn good season. Like, that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. So, I, and I and hence
0: why I said best case scenario, I think, for either yeah. that would be five goals, five assists. But yeah. more and, tempered, and I think, you and know, more tempered expectations. All that helps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: Like, look at Brian White. Oh, yeah. You look at his stats. One goal, but that one goal—like you could say that was crucial. It was a one-zero game mm-hmm. that put us over the line for the shield. That one goal, you could point to that game and say that won us the shield. There, and we all had yeah. two
1: game-winning assists.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say that if they break into a starter
0: role, like I wouldn't begrudge him five goals and five assists. If it's coming off the bench, which I think isn't isn't exactly beyond the point of believing at this point. Like, maybe two or three goals or assists, and, you know, I think would be pretty good production. I think that's stuff that they should be aiming for, you know? If if they manage to prove that they're a consistent source of production off the bench even, like, I'd consider that, like, pretty good from either of them. So it's kind of the more realistic expectation for me. is like, I hope that they turn into productive bench weapons if they can't lock down a starting role. Yeah. Oh no, okay. So, um I think I mentioned earlier that we do have some um adding to the winger mix as well was none other than Omir Fernandez, who has been much hyped and anticipated signing with the team this season. And you know, this was a guy, I mean, the Herman Trophy doesn't really mean much in my opinion, but he was nominated for being what I think the best player in college in what his sophomore year, which. Yeah,
2: he was a Mac Herman semifinalist, which the last, like Jack Harrison won the Mac Herman trophy as a freshman to kind of give you some at Wake Forest to give you some perspective of. So talented players do win that, and usually it is the best player. So to be in the semifinalist as a sophomore in your first year as a starter, you're doing something right.
0: Yeah. And I think the team identified that, which is why they signed him to this homegrown deal, you know? And I think he's another interesting option at the winger spot. And the reason why I bring up Omir Fernandez is because once a Metro asking is what's the timeline for developing Omir Fernandez into a senior team player. And, you know, I think, as we mentioned, if he shows something in preseason and the way that Armis has talked about um, not draft picks and younger guys um, having the potential to put them in contention for a senior team position if they show something in preseason like if omir balls out in preseason he may win a role with the senior team right off the bat you know if that's as if that's as a bench weapon or even as a starter which would be i think much beyond anyone's expectations. I want to get that out the way. It'll be beyond anyone's wildest expectations in my opinion if Omir Fernandez wins a starting spot right out the gate as a home run. Like I would be stunned. But I think if he balls out, he's potentially looking at maybe a bench role with the first team, but I definitely do see in the near future time of Red Bull too for obvious reasons. You know, and I think realistically, I think he's going to spend a bit more time down there um at Red Bull 2, you know, alongside Ben Mines and uh probably Jared Stroud in the uh Red Bull 2 attack. That I think the timeline for Omir Fernandez isn't so much this year, but the next two or three years. You know, I think the, the the timeline is to develop him into a first team player by his third year with the club. And I think considering the level of talent that he has and being nominated for The Herman Trophy in a sophomore year kind of shows you how high the ceiling may potentially be. You know, I think we really did back into a very useful player here, and his signing as a homegrown may be one of the more underrated acquisitions this season. You know, I think definitely a lot of room to be excited about Nomi Fernandez, and I can't wait to see him in action. Like,
2: yeah, I'm very high on him. I think that, like, the timeline could be next year he could be challenging for starting minutes i the way like i got the chance i'll there's a should be an interview coming out with him on rbnn once it's official i had the chance to sit down with him not in person but over skype for like half an hour and just kind of hear his story and hear him talk about his game i think he's like your prototypical red bull player in a way like he understands the system. He's like one of him and Ben Mines are kind of the first group. Tyler Adams, in a way, but his ex, his development was accelerated. They're kind of the first group to really come through the academy with three years, I think, if I'm doing the math right, of the system, of Jesse Marge coming in. Like he played one year, his U 14 year was pre Jesse Marge. From then on, it was all like energy, drink, soccer. So he's really coming in. Like he's him and Ben Mines are two of the first homegrowns to really come in with this understanding of the system from the academy days to have had time to train and play with Red Bull 2 prior to signing. Like I know Etienne did, but that was during his senior year of high school. So it wasn't like completely integrated yet in the academy. Like these are the first two guys that really come in Knowing, like understanding the system and understanding the roles, which should accelerate the development, like their path to the first team. Like we saw last year, Ben Mines had a good preseason and he with CCO, he got that chance against Portland. He then went down to Red Bull 2 and it wasn't great. It was up and down. I think they should have stuck him down there instead of yo-yoing him as much. I think we could see something very similar with Omir where he'll get an opportunity. He makes his first team debut this year but he spends majority of the time playing left wing for the rebel too. Yeah. With Ben mines on the right and they wreck have, they'll wreck have it down there. I really believe like I'm really high on his talent. And I think it's mostly, it's not because like he's some world-class dribbler or something. He plays the game smart. He understands the game. So he knows when to press and he makes really smart off ball runs. He knows how to get in at the back post to tap in that goal. He knows how to, run off the defender into the channel is very similar to Volo who he mentioned was one of his favorite players on the team because he liked the way he plays. He he could think of him in that style of play of that winger who can get up and down cause crossing balls, but gets in behind almost like a second striker. He's not a striker. He's a left wing, right footed, but he's quick. He understands the game. He makes smart passes. He likes to find the pass. So he's kind of like this below type player, not as big, but he understands the game really well. Mm, His favorite player was Tyler, but I asked specifically at the club now. So I don't,
1: I don't remember who it was who said it, but I remember seeing, uh, someone on Twitter, um, say something along the lines of, of, uh, that he's got the potential to be like the attacking version of Adams in a sense that like, he's like, he could potentially be the first. I like wish I said that. <laughs> uh, that a he could high potentially. Praise, man, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like it could be like the, the the like the first like really high level attacking player to come out of our academy system. That's high level of praise. Yeah.
2: So, well, I don't want to put that pressure on him, but I really do believe that he has the ability. I don't know if he'll be Adams level because Adams is special. Like yeah. that kid is special, special, yeah, special. Once in so that's generation. hard to like. Like, I don't know if he'll be, like, U.S. men's national team starter, but I think he can be a very, very good MLS player. I think he has that ceiling to be a really good, maybe, like, cusp of national team. It's early, time will tell, but I think both him and Ben Mines, they have some quality that can really, like, they could be our starting wingers for years. Like, there's a type of home runs you – hold on to, but they star for you. Like they are your studs, but they're not quite at that level where they're getting chased big time by Europe.
0: Kind of, kind of sounds a bit like, like Jordan Morris, I think to me to kind of bring that, um, yeah. outside the organization comparison. Um, I definitely do see a lot of their games and I think both Omir and mines, which is why I think, um, you know, like why have one Jordan Morris when you can have two Jordan Morris is right? Like, <laughs> Jordan <laughs> Morris is that can press, yeah. score, do everything. I mean, I was talking about how we've always kind. Of, I mean, I was literally just talking about this earlier in the episode. But if it really does sound like he can offer more of a playmaking, like um, more playmaking opportunities of his passing, than while offering the same nose for goal that Danny Royer has, like that's a plus in my opinion. You know, if he can do what Velo does in the right wing and the left wing, that's even better if you ask me. So. These are things that we should definitely be aiming for. And, you know, like I'm going to reiterate it, like I cannot wait to see this guy in action because if the buzz is right, we've hit on a really good player here. You know, like, yeah, these are going to be guys, I think, at any other MLS Super Draft who would probably be like the number one consensus pick.
2: You know, I think. Yeah, he would, like this year, he probably would have been a top 10 pick as a sophomore coming out. He has that talent. And the nice thing, he's really humble. He's a humble kid. Like he says, like when I asked about his breakout season, he was deferring to, it's the team, the team. Like, I'm not going to spoil my whole article. (laughs) Really, like he's a really just genuinely nice person and a really good, like humble kid.
0: So now we're going to throw in, I think, two more questions uh, with regards, because we're talking a lot about Red Bull 2 I think, um, in our analysis of guys like Epps and, uh, you know, Omir. So we do have questions related to Red Bull 2, so I guess I'll just throw them in here. The first coming from uh, John Amaral. Anybody from last year's Red Bull 2 besides Kassaraz going to get any minutes this year? And I think, you know, we already saw... It's a hard It's really hard to say. I'm going to say that right off the bat. Brian White is probably going to be the main backup striker to BWP, so we'll probably see some time from him. And, you know, I think he's earned it. Yo, you want to talk about, like, um, draft picks that haven't panned out? I mean, Brian White's another one that seems to be, like, at least a pretty decent role player at MLS level. Like, So there's another pretty great example right there. I mean, um, he's the only one... I don't think... Sorry?
2: I don't think we see... I, going back to the question, like Brian White, I don't really count him as like a Red Bull two player anymore because he got that like mid year call up. Yeah. So I kind of think like between like we're looking at Scarlet Lima Stroud, we got rid of Moreno. That's about it, right? Yeah, I think that's <laughs> who is like carryovers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I think maybe Stroud could be like in line for a mid season call up, but that's really dependent. I think his future if he wants to continue to play for the New York Red Bulls, has to be at the 10. He has to, because I think he can do some things that are Kaku ish He has a nice left foot. He has a good vision for the game. And he's not the elite. He doesn't have elite speed, so he's not the quickest, which makes it hard to be a winger in our system. He has a nice shot. I think if he can really develop in that attacking mid space, he could maybe sneak onto the first team roster this year. I don't really rate Scarlett that much. I think he'll lose a lot of minutes in the end to Neilis, Boateng. But I think if I had to pick one, it's probably Stroud. But it really, I think it depends on him developing as an attacking mid and moving like centrally from the winger position. And I think he has the ability to do it, but that's the transition he has to make. He has to become the Red Bulls two's kaku. Yeah. Oh, that
0: inadvertently answered our one of the other questions we got from Red Bull 2, which was, do you think Scarlett and Stroud can make ju- make the jump to the first team? So yeah, there you go. I think that's a that's a breakdown yeah. that I kind of do agree with. I think... I think...
2: I was shocked Scarlett was back. Yeah,
0: the, the, that in itself, I, I didn't see Jordan Scarlett having a third year at Red Bull 2, um, but... Stroud, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna parrot what you say. Really, I think with how stacked we are at the wide positions right now, it's it's hard for any of those guys from Red Bull who primarily played those positions to be getting minutes there, you know, at the senior team. And especially since I think they're going to be wanting to develop uh, Omir and Mines a bit more, it's going to really at the wide positions it's going to create a lot of competition at those spots even down at the USL organization so that's going to be I mean, one of the bigger I think storylines to monitor as the, as the USL season develops is who emerges at those wide positions for Red Bull 2 um, so I think the final Red Bull 2 question that we have is from Ben Mindstand which is who will be the Red Bull 2 breakout player of the season and I think the odds on favorite right now would probably be Omir considering that that's probably where he's going to be starting the season.
2: Yeah. So yeah. I think sleeper pick two sleeper picks. If you count Kofi as a Red Bull two player, yeah, no, that's, yeah. true. that's a sleeper, but he may be like already graduated past being like considered a Red Bull two breakout. Cause he could be like a preseason camp breakout the way Armis has talked about yeah. him and the way I view his potential. I think a sleeper is Tom Barlow. Yeah. I think there is something there. I think he can, he has the athleticism, he has the size. If he can like become a slightly better finisher and just kinda of put some of the pieces together and with more comfort year or two, I think he could be like a sneaky one. And that- Obviously there's a bang, but <laughs> ooh, I don't know if you want to get it to Anatole Bong. <laughs> He's still hanging out going to delis and
1: taking ubers everywhere up in uh Living Marstown, my best life so. Abom,
0: Abom could get his own episode of metro fan tv honestly i think the whole just covering the whole saga but that's a that's a you, something for him
2: you should message him
0: if he wants I to be our first guest. you come on
2: <laughs> I, I would i'd have Anatole as our first I know guest,
0: like in a heartbeat like
2: I, he's very receptive to his dms i will tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> i know all too well
0: um, but I think to throw in a bit more for like potential sleeper picks at RB2, I think we talked about them at the top of the episode. Um, I'm not going to discount any of the uh, draft guys we brought in, particularly Boateng or Buckmaster, because I think the profile for those guys, really useful players. And I totally forgot to say that you know I think compounding counting the situation even more is that Alan Yanez is back in camp and may potentially yeah, be looking buddy. at a Red Bull 2-slash-senior-team contract. Which would be pretty fucking cool, in my opinion.
2: It's gonna add like a, a lot more competition at the fullback spots. Yeah. That's actually that's the guy who could make that jump from Red Bull to from last year's Red Bull two team. That's actually that's my that perfect, Alan perfect. Giannis. I totally blank on Alan yeah. Giannis, that's the guy. Yeah. yeah. That
1: that's for me, that's a hands down. That's that's the guy right there. I'll even go as far as to say I wouldn't be surprised if he walks out of preseason with a first name contract.
0: Yeah, yeah. get slowed
2: down to Red Bull 2 or something. Well, That'll make it that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just the depth is so thin there. Like I like Laid, but if Alan Alan just has that he has height. I hate to do that, but he has <laughs> <some> height. <laughs> I really like I'm not that tall either, but I just hate like he can defend a, so they can't put their like six foot winger down there and just loft the big ball like long ball to him like he can define <sighs> the air a little better i hate to do it but i'm doing it <laughs> <laughs> i mean he did
0: shut two hours in he did flashbacks. shut down <laughs> kai kamara in that one u.s open cup game in new england so that was pretty fucking cool yeah. right like he kind of won me over for
2: life with that performance against kai kamara so it's like the tootsie yeah. roll pop the world will never know how <laughs> yeah, he <did> exactly. it. <laughs> How many licks does it get to the center? Ask Connor Lee, because no one knows how he shut down Kai Kamara. <laughs> <laughs> Playing center back. All right. So I think that does about does it
0: for questions related to uh, the main segments of this podcast. And now we're going to go into, we're going to finish out the mailbag, I think, with the uh, questions that we didn't manage to get to, because we, they weren't quite in-fitting with the uh, main sections of this podcast. Don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, the finish line is in sight. If you listened for two hours into this episode, tweet sixty nine at Gustavo Casasola. Okay,
2: I can I can get that at. You. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to type, it's at S O C R A J E S C H E. I've been tweeting at him for the past couple of days. He hasn't responded, but let's get some momentum yep. rolling Coward. there. <laughs> Feel free to tag me in it.
0: <laughs> so uh, the the first um f- first miscellaneous question coming from Kari: When is the Cooligans crossover episode? I don't know who they are actually. Like um we don't we don't we don't we don't, we don't um recognize NYCFC media. Sorry um on this podcast. So I'm sorry. I know Fernando probably offered to uh, put him on, but I'm mixing it. It's an executive decision. <laughs> have you guys
2: seen the Soldier Boy hot like Power Breakfast Club interview or Hot 97 interview where he goes Drake? No.
0: <laughs> no. Oh, <yeah. laughs>
2: it's like Oh, you have to go watch it. He's like he just rants. He's like the guy who got called out by Pusha T. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. the cooligans. The guys who are comedians who aren't funny. Like, <laughs> oh, shit. Oh wow. Yeah, wow, I wasn't going to get that I spicy. like <laughs> I was actually
0: gonna say, like, I was just gonna give them shit and say, like, uh, whenever they want to come on, they can come on. But, like,
2: uh, yeah, I guess. Well, uh, see, I'm the guest, so I can get spicy. <laughs> yeah, I was we gonna are say. Not I mean, like, <laughs> I mean we, to we we be honest, to, let's see who watches the two hours.
0: To be honest, I'm pretty sure that this brand's kind of nuked, like any potential working relationship with any non-Ripple <laughs> media for the future. With how much shit we talk in this episode, on this podcast um but yeah you know like i'm gonna renege my executive policy because i think it's time for a new year and a new me right guys if you're done convincing people that we're (laughs) not gonna like start arguments every five minutes then i will extend the olive branch to alexis and uh liam i think that's the other guy um to come on if they if they so please yes that's my policy it's in your court you guys Moving on to a question from the Rip-
2: Yeah, I'm just going to the gym more.
0: <laughs> <laughs> going on moving on to a question from SV Macklin in the uh, Ripple discussion group. So, who are the 10 best players from the MetroStars era? And this is such a I mean, like I-, I can't evaluate players that like I've honestly never watched. So, and I don't think I'm going to be really offering anything new or stunning to this conversation. Because the simple fact of the matter is, is that I was fucking, like, 12 when Red Bull bought the Metro Stars, So, like, I barely knew anything about European soccer, let alone, like, North American soccer, especially growing up in Asia. So I'm just going to refer to you to the history panel at MetroFanatic.com. Because I think they're probably um, the all-time authority on this thing. but if you I think if you really wanted to, you could probably send an email into seeing red or something. And they'll probably be able to fill you in a bit more. but, um, I'm just gonna read off a list of names. I think off the top of my head, anything. Really-
2: Danley Borman, ten times. <laughs> <laughs> that's a better oh, Clint Mathis as well. <laughs>
0: uh, that's a that's a better like answer than anything I could probably give. To be honest, yeah, the the, the list is Danley, Danley, and Danley.
2: <laughs>
0: See ya. No, but I think in all seriousness, like the list isn't complete without some combination of Mathis, Petke, and Savarese,
2: and Tim Howard. Tim Howard, I guess.
0: Oh, Guevara as well. Okay, I got to shout out Amado Guevara. Yeah. He is the only player in club history to win MLS MVP while on the books. So he, get Mathis, a, he gets he so. gets extra
1: points from me because he's the uh, he's ahead of he's in charge of the Puerto Rican national team.
0: Yeah. So he gets um, bonus points. I guess Tony Miola, if you're into that kind of thing, and Donadoni for being the first Tab Ramos, I guess. I can't. Like again, just yeah, uh, Just, just go look at. Seeing rival
2: have a bit. They've been around much longer. I think.
0: Yeah, like I, I don't think either me or Friedlander have like any recollections of like the first game where the Metrosport. I wasn't alive. Yeah, Yeah, he wasn't even alive. Not alive. He wasn't. He was an embryo. Like I was like actually walking at that point like Friedlander was an embryo
2: so that's yeah. some perspective I, I, for you guys. I was around like 2001 is like my first season that's where I fell in love with Tim Howard and like Clint Mathis and that's what like maybe that's why I don't care about selling players because when I was like seven Tim Howard got sold and I had to deal, learn about that and Mike Pecky got traded so I was like <laughs> well <laughs> there's all my favorite players and Clint Mathis went to Germany so it was like Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye. Okay, well, I'm jaded from here on out. A little six-year-old Eric. <laughs> wow. It can't get worse than your all three of your favorite players being sold in, like, the same season. I thought Eric <laughs> was TSM I, before he was, like,
1: before he hit, uh, hit puberty. It's amazing.
0: You were TSM I, I TSM. I guess TSM that moment real. for oh, me. I hit
2: puberty, like, two years.
0: Ago. <laughs> I, I'm going to go on go record saying this, I guess, like, that moment for me, because I hadn't really watched a lot of MLS prior to 2014, but that moment for me as a kid was when uh, david beckham went to real madrid i mean dude like when if you were a kid alive in like the late 90s slash early 2000s i don't think it's can be overstated enough like how big of a sensation beckham was like worldwide so him being sold to real madrid was like a fucking i i bawled my eyes out over it i believe because like I always wanted his haircut, and I used all the products that he had, and I—he was, was the first jersey I ever had as a kid. It was a uh, David Beckham that instilled a, that steel into me, where I realized that all your favorites eventually fuck off and leave. So yeah,
2: yeah no, <laughs> that's Kaku how like
0: fa- t- Kaku doesn't phase me. Do You hear that, Club America? Like <laughs> yeah. I'm not fucking scared. If you want to come take this guy, like nothing you can say yeah. or do can hurt me.
2: I just recently took down like a newspaper clipping of like Tim Howard's last game from my like bedroom wall. <laughs> like I used to put like sports posters and I had like the Metro Corner with, like I had a like they used to hand out these like news like Herald News, I think it was, had like these little mini posters they would hang out. I must have had a post a picture of Steve Jolly and Johnny Walker on my wall for fifteen years. Why? Who knows? Wow. Johnny. But it was free, I had it, it sat on my wall because I wanted posters on my wall.
0: This makes me wonder about, like, what we're going to do, like, if we're going to ever look back at, like, the uh, posters they hand out before the matches nowadays and be like, oh, wow, I do have a Felipe match poster, holy shit, like, having a Johnny Walker match poster, like, that's a collector's item. Like, I really wonder, like, what, are, what, what that's going to be in a few years, like, maybe it'll be the Ben Mines one celebrating his first ever
2: goal. Like, okay, yeah, I of think about, there. like, the little kids and, like... That like them seeing those things, like having those memories, like it just brings me like that's why like I that's going back to like what we were talking about last episode. That's why I love the MLS Super Draft because it harkens back to like when I was a little kid and it was just so like low level, like just oh, we're going to like autograph session in the bubble. Demarcus Beasley from the Fires there and the Metro <laughs> Stars. Like it was so like low level like so chill that I just like sometimes I miss that like mlS 1.0 like free stuff every game type of thing
0: yeah and um okay so um let's see the last question rounding out the episode um coming from Casey Jones longtime listener thanks Casey for the question last season was supposed to be our time and even with all the great successes came up short in the end does this take away some of the pressure of last year's winning with this team, or does it make the pressure even more intense? And I think if you look at how well this team played last year, even despite the fact that we lost five or six guys to season-ending injuries and still like set the record for points, I think, I think we kind of hinted at this last episode, but I think the expectations are going to be high going into the season. I mean... We still haven't, I think Atlanta is still obviously going to be quite strong, and we're probably the only team that's kind of on equal footing with them, but I still kind of take solace in the fact that Atlanta didn't really face this when we had the full 11 on the field, you know, and what I mean by full 11 is that includes Florian below and that right wing. so... You know, I'm not gonna throw throw our chances out the window just because Atlanta signed Pity Martinez or whatever. You know, I think as it goes, you kind of have to see how the season's going to shake out when they kick a ball and they come out the gates to kind of get in a gauge of how it's going to turn out this year. But yeah, I also cannot deny that expectations are probably going to be high this season because we we're building off the mo- off the backs of the most successful season in club history record-setting season by almost every metric that you can think of so i really anticipate that expectations in the fan base are going to be high this year and even though it maybe wasn't such a dead certainty that we win mls cup like the the minimum expectation is definitely going to be that we're going to be in contention for it again Yeah,
2: you know i don't think the pressure may be as high because i think there was like at least within the team, they like, they knew there was a certain element of like, this is our, one of our best chances. Like we know Tyler's leaving. Like we really confident in our ability. I think the injuries took a toll obviously, but I think there's maybe a little less like pressure per se, and maybe less expectation this year. Cause like Tyler's gone, who knows what happens with Kaku. Assume Kaku stays and everything's all like happy days. I think, even then there's a little less pressure because it's kind of like, well, like let's see what they can do. Kind of like we need like maybe we need one or two players to kind of take that next step and people, they either will or someone will replace them. But I think, I don't know if there's, I don't see the talk of like putting like the self inflicted pressure of like, this is our time. Like we're really confident in this roster. I think they're kind of just playing it more chill this year and, people may sleep on us a bit just because like they always sleep on us. But I think we'll once again kind of surprise teams and it'll be kind of business as usual in a way, but I don't know if it's as much pressure. Like I've been thinking about this question. I don't know if it's, I think it takes away some of the pressure of like not saying it's our time. Like this is the best roster we ever constructed. Like I think there's new, like, I think it's, It's kind of one competition at a time. I think they may not go all in on regular season this year. I don't like seven teams get in single elimination. Maybe you do push for the one seed, but I think, I think they really can make a run in CCL, like looking at the table, like we should beat Atlético Pontoa, like that shouldn't be that hard. I really do believe they could beat Santos Laguna. I was watching the game and they just didn't look like they don't look that great like nothing better than Tijuana was like their record. They're not in the best form. Mm-hmm. The hard game would be Tigress. I think it's Tigress after that. But I think like once you get to the semi-finals of CCL, I'm almost satisfied. Like if you can consistently be getting to CCL semi-finals, that means you're in the hunt to get that final cup. It's like, you're almost there. You just have to like have one more upset really. So I think like, I don't know if the pressure is off because I think there's always pressure and anxiety in this fan base, but I don't think it's as heightened as it was down the stretch.
0: Yeah, I think that kind of sums it up for me as well. Yep. Um, any takes, Fernando? No,
1: I think I think, um, I, think uh, I, I kind of mentioned something about it in, in, in uh, the last episode last year that you know the whole thing of our time is. You know, obviously, I'm sure they meant it for just that that playoff run, but I think in general, it's it's for me, this is a team that's built um, to contend for everything that that they play for. Um, So for me, our time is 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 really it's it's at any point, it's at any moment, any one of these competitions that we that that, that we're involved in, we could win. I, I have maybe with Champions League, it's a little harder without Gaku. Um, reports are probably now saying that, that a deal has been reached according to Univision. So who knows? Um, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 I feel confident that every, everything, this team, every competition this team plays in, we have a good chance. So for me, it's just a matter of time. You know, you can, when you're knocking on the door so frequently to championships, they got to come at some point. So uh, i'm full full five trophies this year it's it's possible i think to to get one of them at least
0: yeah i think that kind of does about does it here for us tonight in this uh, bumper episode uh two hours and 15 minutes nice all right so once again friedlander thanks for coming on helping us break everything down and providing some great insight as always uh all the um, articles will be coming out in the coming, I think, days. If uh, as soon as we get confirmation or official announcements of uh, moves that are being yeah. made. So once again, check out Eric's content because it's all one of the grass stuff that you're going to find on the collegiate game.
2: Thank you, thank you. Related to Red Bull. Thank you for having yeah. me. I now see why there's thousands of Red Bull podcasts. This stuff is a lot of fun. <laughs> so now I I understand why everyone has a podcast. Like it's infectious.
0: <laughs> you can be like.
2: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. And uh, from me and Fernando, like uh, once again, Tweet69 to Gustavo Casasola if you made it this far in the episode. fan TV saying peace. Good night.